What's up, everyone? I'm Brady Morgan, and I'm the host of the Budget Trek Podcast. If you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and review and rate the podcast. That would be very much appreciated. Before we dive in, I want to talk about our sponsor. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world, scale their businesses, make more money, and build their networks with like-minded individuals. They teach entrepreneurs how to go from zero to six figures through weekly mastermind calls featuring top business leaders, online courses, and amazing events all over the country. If you're interested in learning more about SocialX, go to socialxevents.com and tell them you came from the Budget Trek podcast. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Budget Trek podcast here with Kevin Zhang, a creator, an educator, an investor, zero to $20 million in one year, and a member of the Forbes Business Council. Kevin, what's going on, man? How's it going? Well, it's great to be here and thank you so much for having me on. And I think uh, we're going to have a great conversation. I'm excited to drop some value for all of your listeners. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. So for the newer listeners out there that are just now tuning in, Budget Trek started as a documentation for me and my wife's journey to financial freedom, the struggles and successes along that journey, interviewing people on their similar journeys. But I realized that I really wanted to gear more towards the struggles of the entrepreneurial journey in general, because like I was telling Kevin before, that journey is glorified on social media and there's a lot of shit that goes on that isn't always shown. And that's what Kevin and I are going to get into and his story. But before we do that, I always ask this first question, Kevin, what is the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? Yeah, so that's a great question, Brady. And uh, I think my answer underpins kind of my whole philosophy towards money in general. I think money best spent is investing yourself. I think that's the most valuable asset that anyone could put any amount of financial capital towards because it's the one asset that you actually have full control over. Uh, so the dumbest thing I've spent money on, it's not one thing, it's kind of a series of things, is buying tables at clubs. Um, ever since I started making a little bit of money because I grew up, I grew up with poor Chinese immigrant parents. I just never kind of lived that lifestyle. Even when I was in college, I didn't get that much money from my parents. So I wasn't going out and buying drinks all the time. But when I first started to make some money, I remember one very bad habit I had was just buying tables on the weekends. And I can tell you, I have spent probably close to almost six figures now on tables. And, uh, definitely something I completely regret spending money on. It's stupid, right? You're paying for bottles uh, for a chance to just meet girls. And uh, that's really money I could have used towards personal development or my business even further. But that's definitely the thing I've spent the most stupid money on. Yeah, it, it's crazy. People around our age, their dumbest purchases are, are pretty much that. I mean, maybe not bottle service and tables, but alcohol in general and going out and I mean, I'm in, I'm in Nashville, and if you want to have a you know a good night out in Nashville, that's four hundred dollars. That's not even getting a table or bottle service, you know. So it, it is expensive to live that kind of lifestyle if you're continuously wanting to invest in yourself, just like you're doing. And I want to I want to touch on something too because you talked about investing in yourself, and I noticed that you were in the hundred million dollar mastermind, yep. which I know is a hundred thousand dollars to get into. Yep. So what was the thought process behind making that large of an investment into yourself? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, about the whole bottle service thing, something I just want to add for all your listeners is usually I'm a very, very financially responsible, uh, very frugal 
indexed on using my money to either invest in myself or to develop some sort of passive income stream that's long term. So all of my money, I'm mainly investing it back into my own business or on different ventures. When I started buying bottles, that was already after I personally became a self-made millionaire, right? Where I was very close to having a million dollars myself in net worth. So I didn't even start buying that stupid stuff until that happened. And even then I still regret it. So for all of you listeners out there right now, I don't know how much you guys are making. I don't know what phase of life you guys are in, but if you are not very financially secure, you're not really on track to be where you want to be and you're still spending thousands of dollars or even hundreds of dollars on bottles, you know, I, I'm feeling guilty about it, even though I started doing that after I already became a millionaire, right? And I was 23 years old. So I just want to kind of put that out there. But 100 million, you know, that's a really, really good question. So what 100 million is, is it's kind of a, it's an invite only mastermind experience, right? And the qualification to be in 100 million is that you had to have been a self-made entrepreneur that has started a business that's generating at least a million dollars in revenue, right? So I knew from the beginning that the network would be cream of the crop. So in this group right now, we have 120 uh, self-made millionaires, and then we have eight self-made billionaires in that group, right? So why did I decide to pay $100,000 for this experience? It was not for the education, even though it was awesome. It's not for the cool events, even though that was awesome. It was to meet people, right? Because Something that I've realized the more and more I've grown as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, and even though I'm in the e-commerce space, which a lot of your listeners might be thinking, wow, you know, that's like a space where you're behind the computer all day. Yeah, that is true. But the more I realize that whether you're in physical, traditional entrepreneurship or the digital world, the biggest needle movers for your life and the opportunities for your business is always going to be people. Every business is a people-driven business, right? Meeting the right person that can do something for you or work with you is the secret to astronomically growing the value that you provide, right? In the beginning, you kind of have to be heads down and a little isolated when you're kind of building value for yourself, you know? You, you need to buy kind of a seat at the table, right? You need to have value that you can offer others before you can even start networking or doing it effectively. But once I was able to build that, I knew the next step of scale was going to be putting myself in the right positions, meeting the right people that can be new, that can be needle movers for myself. And that's why I decided to invest that $100,000. And it's paid massive, massive dividends. A lot of the ventures that I'm working on right now are with people that I met um, at that first event as a part of 100 Million Mastermind. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I saw a lot of videos and pictures of the people that were there. So I can definitely see why you would want to invest in something like that because the connections you can make are astronomical. And even if people there can't get you somewhere, they probably know someone that can. And I think that's key in business. Exactly. Like something as simple as, Hey, I built my e-commerce business, right? I have manufacturing capabilities. I have procurement capabilities because I have a full team on the ground in China at this point, but a celebrity that's trying to make their own clothing brand, right? They're exploring print-on-demand options. They're exploring U.S. manufacturers that are very, very overpriced. And a lot of these kind of team members and the celebrities' entourage or management, whatever you want to call it, they don't have that experience, right? Now, the celebrity, they're going to push this brand. They're going to do very, very well because they're pushing onto their own audience. They, they have no manufacturing solution that's very cost-effective. One person knows a celebrity. They also know me. 
makes that introduction and bam, that's like a six figure revenue generator for me. And I don't have to do any work. It's my own team on the ground in China that's producing everything. It's like one meeting, sign some contracts and bam, I just made six figures as a part of my business. That's obviously a very simplified example of how powerful a network can be, but that extends to so many directions, right? Whether you need a particular skill set. I recently launched an info product, so I've never done that before. And I was very, very kind of in the gray zone of, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I want to preserve my personal brand. I want to make sure my product is actually high quality. You know, I don't want to do the same kind of baity, schemey things that everyone else is doing. How do I execute it in a way that's comfortable for me? And I was completely foreign to info products in, in general. But then at 100 million mastermind, I actually met the former COO of Ty Lopez, right? And he and I are working together extensively now. And he's helped me a lot and kind of getting that navigated. And that's just a skill set I kind of acquired because I was able to meet the right person. So, you know, on that end of things, people, people, people are always the most valuable asset for any business. And every business is a people-driven business. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't have said it better myself. I mean, everything you're gonna do, you gotta deal with people, whether you're behind a computer or not. And I think exactly. it's key to just get comfortable with making those connections because they can make your business skyrocket. But Let's backtrack a little bit because you are in the e-commerce space and I want to hear how you even got started with that because e-commerce has been around for a little bit, but I feel like it's really, really, really hot right now and potentially even oversaturated right now. Yep. So that's a, that's a really good question and I'll kind of walk through my personal story and then also my take on that oversaturation. So I uh, went to college at Vanderbilt University and I graduated in May 2018. And throughout college, I was actually a very rebunctious high school student, like never got along with my parents. I was caught in a massive cheating scandal. I actually almost went to prison for 15 years, believe it or not. I got arrested, charged with residential burglary because I threw a massive party in my neighbor's house without their permission and it was just a crazy, crazy turbulent four years of myself in high school. And I got really lucky getting into a school like Vanderbilt. It was one of few schools that even accepted me. And obviously, it's a great school. So when I went to Vanderbilt, I was very focused on climbing the corporate ladder, right? I was living this kind of delinquent, outlandish, never listening to authority life my whole entire life. And it, it almost got me sent to prison, right? I wouldn't be here with you right now if I didn't end up getting lucky. And I think had I looked a little bit differently, had I been raised in a different area, maybe things would have gone south, right? But at Vanderbilt, I was like, okay, I'm going to follow the status quo. And I worked very hard for four years to get a high paying corporate job. I was going to get paid six figures right out of college at age 22. But my senior year of college after I got my offer letter, when most people are celebrating, kind of enjoying their last year before they sell their souls to corporate America, I felt really empty. And I realized it was the first time in my life where I even asked myself, what is it that I really want to do? Like, what is it that I really want in my life? What does happiness and fulfillment really mean to me? And it made me realize working 60, 70 hours a week and having no control over my destiny, having no control over my schedule, and working for a massive organization where I'm a small cog, even though it is high paying, that wasn't what's going to make me happy and fulfilled. So in college, in my last semester, while most people are partying, enjoying their time, I started hustling, right? I was like, okay, I really don't want to go working for, for this corporate gig. I, I really want to kind of figure something out. And that's when I started doing research into e-commerce. And I actually started my e-commerce business then. Uh, in college in my last semester. 
Now, what was crazy is I loved it so much, even though I wasn't making any money. I just, I remember the first moment I got that sale on Shopify, it makes that cha-ching sound. And it was like cocaine straight to my system. You know, like the best <laughs> drug you could ever taste. I was like, oh my God, my, my crappy website that I built on my dorm, in my dorm room with my old computer, having no web design, no Photoshop, like no skills whatsoever. I just convinced another human being to give me their hard earned money in exchange for a product, right? And that kind of lit up just this insatiable desire in my mind of, I want to hear this cha-ching sound so many times. So in that moment, I decided to quit my job before I even started. And what, what ended up happening, which was so unlucky, and it's crazy that this is so recent because this is just over a year ago, I graduated from college, moved into my parents' basement. I had $3,000 saved from a summer job the year before, and I started you know, pursuing e-commerce full-time. And by July, I actually lost $6,000. So I was $3,000 in credit card debt by July. And I just, the thing is, I was, you call me irrational, you call me determined. I don't know what label you want to put on it, but I, for some reason, I knew that every single day when I went to sleep, I had this like hope, this dream. And, and I, almost like I knew the next day, everything would just make sense. Everything would just take off. And that never happened until finally, I remember this date so vividly because it changed my life. I started a new e-commerce brand in August 1st. And by August 12, 2018, we did $20,000 a day in sales. And ever since then, it's just been a whirlwind. You know, we've just been growing exponentially. Uh, now, you know, you fast forward today, um, we have over 60 employees all over the world that are working full time for us. Uh, we've generated $20 million in sales in our first year, and we're on track to smash that in our second year. My goal is $100 million in sales in the year of 2021. And, you know, it's just been, it's been crazy, right? I moved from my parents' biz, uh, basement to a multi-million dollar house in the Hollywood Hills. You know, I'm driving a crazy car. I'm getting to meet all these crazy people. And now my business is just growing exponentially, right? And it all started right there in that dorm room when everyone else was kind of complacent of where they were headed, right? Going to the status quo direction, thinking it was the best. And I was just the only person that even bothered Googling around for other opportunities. I didn't even know what e-commerce was. I had no like inclination that I wanted to do e-commerce. I just found out about it because I was Googling different ways uh, to make income. And I stumbled upon this massive disruption that's going on. So about the saturation, I actually think e-commerce right now is extremely undersaturated, but there are certain aspects of it that is saturated and I'm going to break that down. So e-commerce as an industry, in August, in, in 2018, when I first started, e-commerce as a share of overall retail was just 8%. And when I was doing my research, you know, when I saw that number, and I don't know if you're thinking this too, or the listeners are thinking this too, that screamed low, like so low in my brain, right? 8% of all retail is online. Surely, I thought to myself, we're headed in a direction where it's going to be 50-50 one day, right? Like surely, we, we're going to live in a world one day where 50% of people buy online primarily and 50% of people buy in person. And that was kind of the bet that informed this is the space I want to play in. So we saw in 2019 that share go to 17.5%. So more than doubled in a year. Now, that's explosive growth. And also 17.5 is still severely, severely undervalued. 
But what does that mean for my e-commerce business? Is that if in year one in 2018, we did $20 million in sales, that means by 2021, which is when most people project it'll hit 50-50 by the end of 2021, my business will multiply by five, six times, not because we're doing anything differently, not because we're working any harder or we're innovating that much. Of course, we're going to try to, but it's just because the market is growing at such a fast rate. And that's also why this year we're completely crushing it so far. And it's nothing to do with like us proactively doing things. It's just the market is growing like crazy. Now, where does the saturation kind of point come in? The saturation really comes in to certain aspects of the drop shipping side of e-commerce, which I think is becoming very saturated. But it's really two business models that have dominated the drop shipping space, and I don't do either one of them. In fact, I hate both those business models. One is the general store, you know, where you have a bunch of random kind of products on a single site. It looks super unprofessional. It's usually really scammy, and you're just trying to farm out viral products. And the other model is kind of single product stores, which is the same thing, except it's now one product per site, and you're still farming viral products. I think in that end of e-commerce, like that unprofessional kind of schemey dropshipping e-commerce side of things, and there's a way to do dropshipping correctly, which is what I've executed. But those two models, which is 99% of people that are pursuing it, I think that's become oversaturated because consumers are getting a lot smarter. They're not going to fall for like hotdeals.com and see a bunch of random disorganized products anymore. They're going to fall for these single product sites that are selling these wow factor gimmicks like a moon lamp and all this crazy stuff. And also while consumers are getting smarter, Facebook is cracking down if you have bad customer experience, which you will if you don't fix your shipping times and your product quality. And also payment processors are cracking down as well on chargebacks, basically pissed off customers, right? So you know, I've been doing a lot of talking, but my point is basically e-commerce is alive and well. And even dropshipping is very much alive and well. But you have to pursue the business model in a very value-oriented approach, right? The kind of get-rich-quick, kind of schema way of doing it, the single product general store business models, that's become oversaturated because that's what everyone wants to do because it sounds easy even though it's not because it's not sustainable anymore, that side of e-commerce is very, very saturated. But the long scheme of e-commerce, I think if this is the tech bubble right now, because I think e-commerce is just as disruptive and it's a revolution just like the tech bubble was, if the tech bubble, the height of it was in the early 2000s, I still think e-commerce right now is in the, in the 90s. So I don't even think we've hit peak of e-commerce yet. But yeah, the, the schemey drop shipping kind of models a lot of these gurus and whatever you want to call them teach, that stuff is uh, that stuff is completely saturated. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot there that you just said. And uh, I have a few questions here because just like you said, you know, e-commerce hasn't even hit its peak yet. It's probably not even close to hitting its peak yet. But as we all know, with everything that's going on right now, you know, coronavirus, uh, the... The, the, I guess the thought that a recession might be coming, how is that going to affect the e-commerce space? Yep. So that's a really great question. You know what, Brady, I like you a lot because you ask really good questions. Smart guy. <laughs> so there's, there's, two, there's two aspects to coronavirus, right? It's really two problems. One is coronavirus itself as kind of the virus that's going on. And two is coronavirus kind of triggering this long anticipated recession that maybe now is going to get accelerated 
um, into the timeline, right? Like most right. people agree that the recession has already started and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And we already knew this was coming just because we've had such strong economic performance for so long. And a lot of it was fueled by obviously, you know, cheap capital, right? Deregulation, tax cuts, and also credit debit cycles kind of guarantee for recession and also economic booms, right? Now, I'm going to address both of these separately. Coronavirus in itself as a virus has actually been very positive for e-commerce. I've seen my sales rocket. In fact, today we had one of our best performances of all time. Uh, you know, one of our newly launched stores today, you know, we spent $3,000 in ads for $14,000 in revenue, which is unheard of for like a brand new concept, right? So coronavirus is really positive for e-commerce right now because consumers are staying home and are buying online rather than going to retail stores, right? We saw the same phenomenon happen when China was going through the height of the coronavirus, where their social media use was through the roof, and also their e-commerce sales were through the roof as well. I believe social media went up like 23% by average time spent, and then also online shopping sales went up by like 12%, right? So coronavirus is very positive for e-commerce. The recession now gets a little tricky because there's kind of two takes to this. I think overall, the recession will decrease e-commerce sales. It will slow down the pace that e-commerce is growing at overall as an overall industry. Now, how the recession affects each particular e-commerce business, I think entirely depends on their business model. So in recessions, obviously, people have less disposable income, right? So not going to buy as many consumer goods in general. So in general, e-commerce is going to take a hit as will every other type of industry mainly. But a lot of the e-commerce, right? And a lot of my e-commerce, I have multiple types of brands, right? And basically I have fast cash flow brands. I have very low enterprise value, meaning I'm never going to be able to sell these things for a large multiple. And then I have high enterprise value brands that have low cash flow, right? Meaning these brands are totally indexed on brand equity. Even if we lose money on it, it's good because we're building a brand, right? I think the discount model, fast cash flow kind of you know, constant sale, cheaper prices, that e-commerce branch is actually going to thrive during recession because I think people are going to be looking for deals and discounts during recessionary times. Now, I think kind of your staple e-commerce brands that are targeting the average American consumer, right, and not people that are oriented towards discounts, that core kind of e-commerce group is definitely going to suffer, right? Now, I think the hyper premium e-commerce category of kind of your luxury goods, you can factor in kind of designer items in here. Um, you know, these things that usually richer, higher income people are buying, I don't think they're going to suffer as much either because those people are usually pretty fine when recession hits, right? So I think the e-commerce brands that are really going to suffer are kind of the ones that hit that middle market and also are very brand conscious to the point where they don't offer discounts and sales. So like your Warby Parkers, your Dollar Shave Clubs, things like that, I think they will suffer. But a lot of my brands are these fast cash flow brands. Um, and I think they're actually going to really thrive. And that's also what I teach people how to start out building as kind of this fast cash flow brand that's building a lot of value for customers. You're offering great quality products, but you're kind of willing to take a hit on that brand enterprise value in order to get a higher conversion rate by offering some more aggressive kind of sales tactics. So that's what I'm expecting during this recession. Yeah. And I want to, I want to ask you a follow-up question too, because let's assume Kevin that you don't do e-commerce. You're about to start yeah. today, you know, with the looming recession, with everything that's going on, 
with the percentage of retail that is bought online, what would you do to start an e-commerce store? What would be your niche? How would you start it? Because I think a lot of my audience out there is just itching to get started and they don't know how. And I think that's an issue with any entrepreneur. They see how people have success in these different niches, but they just don't know how. So kind of walk me through, I mean, you don't have to go super in depth, but a step-by-step kind of vaguely, how do you get started? What would you be doing right now? Yeah, perfect. So I'm going to give you kind of a 30,000 feet level, uh, you know, very, very high um, kind of level walkthrough of how I would want to get started. And for your listeners that are very interested in kind of more tactical steps, you know, this is not a scheme or a scam or anything, but I offer a free training and it's basically a live training every two days, um, kevinzang.com forward slash free training, and you can go on there and learn, but I'm going to walk through at a high level what you would do. So first off is you want to build a business that's actually sustainable, right? Meaning value has to be driven, right? I I have a philosophy in life that value always flows to the top, whether it's your business or whether it's, you know, how you deal with your own personal brand, your work ethic, or even relationships, right? There's going to be luck in the beginning, that's always a factor of anything in life. But I believe firmly that if you do the right things over and over again at the right time, the results will follow, right? I always say that winning isn't a result, it's a mindset, right? So the mindset going into e-commerce, first of all, which is kind of sad that this is kind of lost in the space right now is, hey, I want to be very long-term focused and I want to drive value. I don't want something that's just kind of a short-term cash out that dies like a month later. So no general stores no single product stores. My model is the branded niche model, right? And what that model is based off of is instead of copying all these random gurus and all these random kind of, you know, flexors on YouTube and whatever, why don't we actually try to mimic the real e-commerce players that are killing it, which are big brands? So big brands are not general stores. Big brands are not single product sites. Big brands are niche stores, right? Like North Face is an outerwear niche, right? Warby Parker is a glasses niche, right? And uh, you name it, you know, Dollar Shave Club is kind of, Dollar Shave Club is kind of a one product site, but it's, uh, you know, it's a subscription service. But Canada Goose, right? It's a, it's a niche store, Allbirds, it's a niche store. So most brands are niche brands. So first off, it's to pick a niche that you're very, very passionate about, okay? And that's what's the most important thing because my model isn't centered around viral products or wow factor products. Your, your products aren't going to be the thing that you're really competing on. It's how you execute the brand. So first, you're going to pick a, a niche that you're passionate about and you want to make work, right? And that's the most important thing. Next, you're going to go onto a place like AliExpress and source those products, right? But now you're not sourcing a bunch of random products. You're not sourcing just one product. You're sourcing the products to fill out that niche catalog. So if you decide to do outerwear, you know, you have jackets, you have parkas, you have snow pants, you have gloves, right? And it's, it's nicely organized in that way. So you source these products. Now what you want to do is you want to design your website. And your website is actually really, really crucial here because that's how you're actually going to pivot your brand. Okay, so what do I mean by brand pivoting? Because my approach is completely brand driven. If you decide to sell sneakers from AliExpress, that's perfectly fine. But there's a lot of different ways you can sell the same sneakers, right? On one end, you can frame yourself as kind of a footlocker type of e-commerce business, right? Like we're selling a lot of different athletic-related shoes. 
You could also position your store based on the design as kind of a designer, higher end streetwear brand, right? And it's still the same products. Or you can kind of made a, make a Payless shoot store, massive shoe warehouse discount type of feel to your site. And maybe that does well. You see how each of these approaches is very, very different, right? And if, if I failed doing the streetwear approach to these sneakers, it's not because these products aren't good or these aren't, quote, viral products. Maybe I just executed the brand in the wrong way and now I have to pivot. So once I pick a niche, I decide to kind of pick a brand messaging that I'm going to try out with this niche, right? And I've, I've already sourced those products. And this brand messaging informs everything on your website from design to product page to descriptions, right? And then obviously you want to make advertisements now. Well, what's so great about making ads these days, it's, it's gotten so easy because the tools are accessible to everyone. All you need is Photoshop and stock images, right? And no one understands how powerful stock images are. These are literally professionally done photo shoots for big brands and the excess photos that these photographers, you know, aren't able to sell to the brand. They put on a stock photo site, you know, they get some licensing deal, they put on a stock photo site and you can use them. So with a little bit of Photoshop skill, which is super easy to learn and stock photos and just kind of a creative eye, right? And an eye for what type of brand you want to execute. You can make really, really solid advertisements on Facebook for cheap, right? And then you leverage Facebook to do the targeting, right? And you got to get good at Facebook ad strategy. So the whole e-commerce toolkit is kind of web design, right? Photoshop, designing creatives and advertisements, and then finally Facebook ad strategy, right? That's kind of your classic four skill sets to get really good at e-commerce. And then bam, you just enter the marketplace and you start testing and you start testing and you're trying to find a winning combination of website products, right? advertisement, and then also targeting, right? Any of these sort of individual components can be the reason why you make or don't make any money at all. And you're trying to scale and find a winning combination. Once you do that, you start to scale. Now where my approach really much differentiates is once you start scaling, it's very important to start investing money back into your e-commerce business and to start building infrastructure. Meaning if your concept starts to work and you get some positive feedback, it's time to invest some money into getting those things branded, right? Getting tags on your clothing, getting things custom packaged, getting faster logistics, maybe improving the product quality, and then bam, right? Your concept that is scaling now overnight can actually turn into a legitimate brand. If your AliExpress products are coming to the consumers at a very fast shipping speed, right? And you're also able to have your tags on them, your custom packaging on them, no one's going to be upset with the experience and that's what makes your e-commerce business actually stable. And now it's evergreen because your niche can be an evergreen niche. You're not selling these gimmicks and these gadgets and kind of these, you know, wow factor products that come and go and people aren't going to buy all the time. You're selling staple things. So things like home decor, right? Things like clothing, you know, there's so many different niches, shoes, right? These are staple items that people actually buy all of the time. And that gives you mass scale potential. And the big reason why I hit that crazy $20 million in my first year number is that the businesses I build in e-commerce, they don't, they don't get banned, right? They don't get stolen from me because I'm competing on brand while everyone is competing on price and products. So it doesn't matter if other competitors sell the same products at me. I'm executing it in a totally different way. And also because I'm building that infrastructure out, 
I'm never going to get banned off of Facebook. I'm not going to have problems with payment processors. My business lasts forever, right? Or I mean, my first profitable dropshipping site in August is still around right now. And today it just did $15,000 in sales. And you know, from start to date, it's done around 10 million, right? So it's still churning it out. And that's because I build sustainable processes. And there's no way you're going to make a lot of money unless the businesses you build are actually truly sustainable. Yeah, man, there's a lot there. And just through going through this, Kevin, like you can hear the passion in your voice through all this, you know what you're talking about. And honestly, all the stuff you said is way over my head. But from my audience out there that does do e-commerce, they're going to understand that I can tell. And I wanted to ask another question because, you know, people who are starting today and maybe they don't have success just like you did. They don't have success for a few months. How should they prepare mentally for that? Because I know that's a struggle in itself, thinking you're going to be super successful at the get-go and you're not. Yeah, so I think, I think it's all about this, right? I think there's a, there's a, few, there's a few kind of essentials that someone needs to acquire in life before they even decide to become an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is hard, right? It's very rewarding, but it's very hard. And it's, it's worth the reward. I think the reward drastically outweighs the risk, right? And the effort that's needed, but it's still a high level effort. This is what someone needs to do before they even start thinking about an entrepreneur. These are things they have to kind of master, right? And you know, for people that are a little immature when they're younger, College can potentially be a great way to do this. Now, college is kind of a very overpriced, very expensive way to do these things, but it works, right? And I took advantage of college to build these things. You need, first of all, a strong work ethic, right? Like this is bottom line. You know, if you think work ethic is your differentiator, you're, you're, you're just kidding yourself. Everyone that even has a chance of being successful as an entrepreneur, everyone that even wants to live a life that's outside the status quo has a strong work ethic, right? Like you working harder than anyone else. And that's going to be the reason why you succeed. That's not going to be the reason why you succeed, right? That's a baseline. Understanding how to break down a big goal into core components and then slowly making progress towards that big goal but keeping yourself motivated, keeping yourself on track, and just doing that conceptual planning is a powerful, powerful, powerful skill to develop before you decide to even be an entrepreneur, right? So an easy one is, let's say you're in high school right now, and you have a test, right? And you're like, okay, I really want to get, and let's say you have a class, and you really want to get an A in that class. That's a big goal. How do you break that down to its core components so that you are doing things every single day in order to get that A, right? Or if you really want a job, what are you doing every single day in order to get that job? Every single goal can be broken down in this way. Getting that skill set and getting used to doing that is super, super powerful. Even if it's like, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want a six pack by the time summer starts. What am I going to do every single day? in order to drive towards that goal. Because too frequently, people have a massive goal. They don't break it down into components, right? Not measurable components. And then they just start pursuing that massive goal. And it's really demotivating because you're so far away and you're not even really keeping track of progress. And you have no idea why you're doing things every single day and how it feeds to the overall picture. So that's skill number two. Skill number three, I would say, is being very resourceful, okay? Like, you know, I was always the kid that didn't pay attention in school, 
right? And I would have to learn and cram everything the night before. Obviously, that was a really bad habit. But I think the one thing it really taught me how to do is be really resourceful. Like, crap, I didn't listen to the teacher at all teaching this economics concept. You know, I'm going to have to get scrappy and, and look for online resources, right? Whether it's Khan Academy or watching these lessons online or going on YouTube, like I got to find a way to learn this content where, I'm, where else I'm about to bomb the test tomorrow, right? Being really resourceful, getting comfortable with a situation where someone older than you, someone better than you can't just answer all your questions like it is in school where you have a teacher, like it is in a job where you have a boss. In entrepreneurship, it's the wild west. You're on your own, right? So getting comfortable with being resourceful yourself and not being very fearful or nervous when you're in that wilderness is also something that's really important to start building before you even become an entrepreneur. Now, once you have that kind of ground level and you decide, I want to make a plunge, right? It's just about really believing in the process and believing in yourself, right? I truly believe the business model that I was pursuing. Like I logically broke it down and I was like, okay, it's just a matter of time and a matter about me getting better. But logically, it should work, right? Logically, it works. Whenever you see these gurus out there and they teach these business models that like sound too good to be true, or you find a logical, a lot of logical holes in them, like, hey, you're saying all it takes to make money online is to find a product. The proactive people are asking, well, what if other people start selling the same product? And that's the only differentiator. Then like, how am I ever going to make sales? Surely it's just going to get oversaturated. Asking those types of questions puts you on a different playing field than everyone else, right? And when you can answer those questions for your own business model and feel solid about it, you're going to be a lot more confident, right? And you're going to be a lot more confident even when you're failing. So even though I had $3,000 in credit card debt at one point, I was living in my parents' basement, I still believed that I was going to succeed because my business model made sense, right? I believed that it was just about fine-tuning and it was just about finding the right combination. But once I found that, it would work because logically, everything that I broke down, that big goal I had of getting an e-commerce business successful and all the, and when I broke it down into its core components, everything logically fed into that end result. So when you're down in the dumps, you know, you just have to realize like everyone's been through this situation. And something that really keeps me centered is, I know that there are people that have been in worse positions that have done more with their lives, right? You talk about like Pursuit of Happiness, one of my favorite movies based on a true story. Like a homeless guy ended up becoming a massive stockbroker and ended up selling his company for, I believe it was like 10 or $20 million. Like that guy was a real person that Will Smith portrays. If someone is homeless and is donating their blood in order to support their kid, and start entrepreneurship, it's like, yeah, even though I have credit card debt and student loans, at least I have a roof over my head. At least I have a laptop that I had from college. At least I have food every single day. You know, at least I have an internet connection. So it's about realizing that other people have gone through worse to get to the same destination you want to get to, no matter where you are in life. There's someone that's done it from a worse position. That should be very, very motivating. And also it's about understanding the logic of your business model and truly believing it. And then it's just accepting that in life, there's going to be luck. There's going to be some factors outside of your control. But I truly believe value floats to the top, right? And I believe it. I believe it so much that if you do the same things, right, the right things over and over again, right, if you are indexed on progress, too early on people are indexed on results. They get demotivated when they don't get that specific result, that specific payment. Like, wow, I didn't make any money after a month. I didn't make any money after a month and a half, right? That's bad thinking. 
because in the beginning, you're not going to be able to just go out there and just hit a home run. It's about making progress, right? So you got to get motivated by, hey, I lost $500 today, but here's what I learned by losing that $500. And here's Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do differently moving forward. That's getting reward. And that's a very valuable, valuable reward to get. So I was failing so many times and failing so many different concepts, but I told myself I would never make the same mistake twice. And I failed so many times that eventually everything just started aligning around August 2018, right? But I was already starting in May. So it was like three months straight that I was losing a bunch of money, right? But during that time, I was still super motivated because I felt the progress. Like I'm learning ad strategy. I'm getting better at making these websites. I can see it that my conversion rate is going up and up and up. And it's like my ads are looking better and better and better. And it's like pretty soon after three months, it's like, bam, wow. I really think this website looks as good as any big brand out there, right? I really think my ads are very competitive. I really think this ad strategy, I'm kind of getting the hang of it. That's what you're working towards. And then the results will come. I always tell people, it's like now I've gotten a lot of media attention, right? I've been in Forbes. I've been an entrepreneur. I'm the same person right now, even though I have, you know, I'm very financially secure, right? I'm the same person right now as I was when I was broke with credit card debt and student loans in my parents' basement. I was the same person. Kevin Zhang back then is the same person as he is now. It's just now everyone cares about me because I've gotten the results, right? But winning isn't based on results. It's based on mindset. And if you repeat the same mindset, the same winning attitude, you try to win every single day for over the course of a long period of time, this is a law of large numbers, right? There's luck in the short term, but in the long course of time, you will get the results that you deserve. So that's something for the listeners to take home if they're struggling or they're just starting out. Yeah, man. I mean, I need to put some motivational music behind all that because <laughs> that was good. That, that was a lie. And I, and I think that's going to help a lot of people out there, you know, not even just e-commerce, just any other business they're in, because I think the bottom line is just believing in yourself and daily consistent action. Yep. And when you couple those two, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, you're going to succeed. And just like you said, there's people who have been in worse situations than you who have done better than you. And that's true in any business. So if you just believe in yourself and consistently push yourself to get better day after day and even consistently day after day, see that even if you're failing, it was a learning experience. I think people are really, really well off. But Kevin, I I really want to be conscious of your time. So we'll go ahead and start concluding. But to close all of this out, we've talked about a lot about e-commerce, a lot about uh, just mentally getting through that, that hump in the road. If you had one piece of actionable advice for a new entrepreneur today, what would it be? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, we had a great, great conversation and this is going to be my big piece of advice, right? And this happens to be a product of this moment in time, right? I I look at my life and I consciously realize that everything I've done over this past year and a half wouldn't have been possible 10 15, or honestly, even eight years ago, right? It's because I got to take advantage of this perfect intersection of global markets and technology, right? That's dominated this digital revolution that's provided this opportunity. And the reason why I chose e-commerce, because this is the big piece of advice I'm going to give you guys, 
I think life is about calculated risks, right? And not all opportunities are made equal, right? When I was doing research on what I wanted to start flirting around with or getting into, what I was noticing is there's a pattern in history. And that's that during great disruption, there's great opportunity. And while 99% of the population looks at disruption and thinks, wow, that's cool, and just kind of waits around and like, whoa, how is this going to affect my life? The proactive people take advantage of disruption for opportunity, right? And during these big moments of disruption, the value of your hard work, the value of one hour you put into your work is worth more than anything else. It's a multiplier of your input. So I'm going to give an example. In the early 2000s, you know, we just talked about this. It was the tech bubble, right? The dot-com boom. In the early 2000s, if you spent your time developing a website or learning how to code an app, that was the best use of your time, even more so than if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor, right? Like learning how to develop in the early 2000s was worth a thousand times more than learning law or learning medicine, right? And, it's, and there are people that took advantage of that massive, massive disruption and had a chance to make a fortune that was a massive multiple of their input, right? Because the type of entrepreneurship I was always passionate about was like, hey, I know I could do some crazy idea and wait 10, 15, 20 years to see if it makes money. If it doesn't, I'm kind of screwed. No, I didn't want something like that. I was noticing very proactive people could hit it almost fast. It's not easier. It's just faster because they're taking advantage of disruption. And we saw this again in 2008. During the financial crisis, if you were involved in real estate, right, or, or any sort of devalued asset because of the financial crisis, and that was your form of entrepreneurship, you know, during the recovery, you had a chance to make a massive multiple of your work, right? Same thing with Bitcoin. In 2011, it was worth $20. In 2018, it became $20,000. If you were really early on in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, right, because you were proactive, you saw this disruption coming, right? You had a chance to multiply the value of your work. And it's not because you're smarter or harder working or more educated than anyone else. You're just more proactive. Like Mark Cuban during the tech bubble sold broadcast.com to Yahoo for $6 billion and broadcast.com wasn't even a working website two years later, right? I don't think Mark Cuban was working harder than all the lawyers and doctors out there or that he was smarter. He was more proactive. And I think the biggest revolution and biggest disruption going on right now it's not just the e-commerce revolution. I think that's the biggest one, right? You just have to see all the retail stores that are closing down, see all birds go from $0 to $2 billion in two years to know it's unordinary times. But this whole digital world has just completely changed the game. So my big piece of advice is to be proactive and searching for disruption and then being calculated in what form of entrepreneurship you actually want to pursue. Because in certain moments of history, different opportunities are going to give you a better payout or higher chance of success compared to other opportunities. And right now, it's all about digital. Digital, digital, digital is going to take over the physical world. And anyone that's kind of on this digital space right now that's crafting these opportunities out, they are absolutely crushing it. Because what's so cool is the smartest people in the world, right? The people from Ivy League schools, the people from Oxford, Cambridge, you name it, they can't learn the digital skills in the classroom, right? They are fundamentally unprepared. So you're not even competing against the cream of the crop of the world like you would be in almost any other like institutional 
industry, right? And also what's so beautiful about disruption is everyone starts back on ground zero. Like my $20 million in sales in the first year, a lot of it was because I was really good at Facebook ads. How did I get so good at Facebook ads? It's because literally no one else knows what they're doing. Like if you were a really good marketer 10, 15 years ago, right? You were doing like print, billboards, commercials. Now you're switching over to Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. It's a whole new ball game. You have to start from scratch just like I started from scratch. And that gave me a chance to accelerate. And now I'm considered an expert, even though I'm 24 years old right now. And I've only been doing this for one and a half years. So my big advice to all of you listeners, be proactive about disruption, be calculating in the opportunity you want to pursue, and you want to find something that's disruptive because it'll give you the biggest output for your hard work. And that's my big piece of advice for you guys. Keep an open mind and look for these opportunities when no one else is looking. I love it, man. I love it. That, that's probably been one of the most in-depth piece, pieces of actionable advice we've gotten on the show. So uh, where can my audience find you on social media? Yeah. Awesome. So I respond to all my DMS. It's going to take me some time to, you know, respond to everyone. Cause I get a lot of them, but I personally actually do respond to everything and it's going to be at Kevin Zhang official. So K E V I N Z H A N G official. Uh, that's my Instagram handle. And also if you go onto my Instagram, you'll see that link for the free training. I do a free live training every so often and uh, it's super, super packed with value. It's two hours and it's not like me just selling something the whole time. It's actually me dropping a bunch, a bunch of value, just like I did on this podcast, except even more tangible and more e-commerce specific. So Brady, it was great talking to you. I hope your listeners got a lot of value and you know, whatever stage of life you are in right now, just know that there's no excuses with the digital revolution here. It's never been easier, never been more accessible to be a successful entrepreneur because of all these tools out there. And 10, 15 years ago, people had to mortgage their homes to start businesses. You know, people had to do serious, crazy things and take crazy risks to start. I had $3,000 in the bank account and I was able to build a $20 million business in a year. And it's not possible without the internet and the digital tools I had access to. So now more than ever, if you want to change your life, you want to change your circumstance, there's no excuses at all. 100%, man. There are no excuses. Guys, I'm going to link Kevin's social media in the description. Ask him a question. Let him know what you thought of the episode. And Kevin, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming on. Awesome, Brady. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Central Time, and they're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other major podcasting platform. Check out our social media linked in the description and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.